Welcome to episode three of The Burning Issue. My name is Luke Walsh, and I'm the editor of EndsWasteAndBioEnergy.com. In this series, I'm looking at the energy recovery sector in the UK. I became interested in energy recovery after seeing waste landfilled and thinking there must be a better solution. For several years, that has been energy recovery, and the UK has seen more than 50 large-scale EFW plants built. But with the UK arguably reaching the end of peak EFW building, could we start seeing more smaller-scale facilities being taken forward? In the previous two episodes, we've heard from Suez, one of the biggest operators of EFW plants in the UK, and from Andusia, a company that moves the waste these plants can't handle. Now I'm speaking to Simon Webb, who is Managing Director of Tidy Planet, which builds small waste incineration plants, or SWIPs for short. A plant is considered to be a SWIP plant if it processes less than three tonnes an hour or up to 72 tonnes a day of non-hazardous waste, or less than 10 tonnes a day of hazardous waste. Hello, Simon, and thank you for talking to me today. My pleasure, Luke. Very nice to be invited. As this podcast is about the people as well as the energy recovery sector, I'd like to talk a bit about you, Simon. Then we'll hear your views on the industry and where you think it's going. So what's an average workday like for you currently? I wish there was an average. There's certainly not a typical one. They vary from being stuck behind a desk in the office, which is something that I've done an awful lot more of recently, trying to catch up on inquiries, dealing with customers, dealing with whatever the day throws at me, or can equally be throwing my overalls on, jumping in the van, driving to a customer's site and going to see what they need if they need assistance. So a real mixed bag, but that keeps it really interesting and and probably makes me enjoy it. If I was stuck behind a desk all day, I think I'd probably go crazy. It's good to hear you're getting out there. Has your day changed much since COVID? I think the biggest change is I'm not doing anywhere near as much travelling as I used to. We've all become quite happy with teams and, and other ways of communicating without the travel, which, yeah, it, it's a massive bonus to me. It's a huge amount of time that I was losing. And without really thinking about it, I'd always driven to customers and whether they were 10 minutes away or, or 12, 14 hours away, we'd never really considered how much time we wasted. Being able to actively speak to customers, see them face to face, it's miles better than the phone. And, but the biggest benefit is not being stuck in the vehicle for so much time. Yeah, <laughs> I think we can all agree with that. I think my biggest problem is I'm a self-confessed wish recycler. As part of me thinks more should be done to recycle certain things. But how much effort yeah. do you put into waste separation at home? At home, 100% from food waste, composting, and that's where our business started. So I'm passionate about that. Make sure we can compost everything that uh, we can right through to separating out various different bits of packaging. My big bugbear at the moment is when you buy fruit. If you buy fruit in a packet, you've got a film that can't be recycled, the base that can, the moisture-absorbing pad in the bottom. So I'll separate all three of them, and they each go in the right bin. But, uh, yeah, it's what we live and breathe. Lead by example at home, and hopefully the kids will follow. We'll we'll have to wait and see. I totally agree with you on the plastic films. We had Suez on Dr. Adam Reed talking about the exact same thing, and he he says he finds it baffling that you can buy a cucumber wrapped in film that goes in the bin. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your business. When a large EFW is being developed, it's big news and gets lots of obviously mainly negative publicity. Smaller ones yeah. don't attract as much publicity and fly a bit under the radar. Is this a good or a bad thing? I think in general, from our point of view, it's it's not a bad thing. And the biggest challenge that we've got in this industry is trying to convey we're not out to do any harm to the environment. We're only trying to improve the environment. And whether it's on a small scale or a large scale, we've all got the same regulations to meet. I believe there are a number of benefits to smaller scale systems than the, the larger scale systems. From a, an environmental standpoint, 
they're all doing the same job and we're all trying to avoid landfill, which is the only alternative for the materials that we're looking to generate energy from. And right now we're desperately short on energy. So I'm hoping this might help all of the industry, whether it's large or small, be able to explain what we are doing and why we're doing it and slowly but surely improve the image. But it is difficult whether you're large or small. I think we have got a slightly easier route because there are less arguments against what we're doing compared to dragging waste from all over the country to a large centralised location. But yeah, we, we still have the same sort of challenges. It's interesting you mentioned about the regulation there, because obviously smaller facilities go through the planning system in a slightly different way, and they're not permitted by the Environment Agency. So I realise I'm asking you sort of two things there, but I guess the permit planning side of things are simpler. Yeah, whether it's large or small, the emissions that come out of the stack have to meet the same regulatory requirement. So whether it's a large or small system, the small system will have a smaller volume of the gases, but the gases are just as clean as they are on a larger scale system. The planning is a significant difference. So we both have to go through a planning application to physically put the item on site. And that's the same whether it's a large or small scale site. It's when the environmental permitting comes into play on anything that's using less than three tonnes an hour of fuel, we can get the permit under what's called a small waste incineration plant permit. And these are carried out with the local authority at the same time as they do the planning application. They have a much smaller quantity of these applications going through. They can seek support from the Environment Agency, but they're not reliant on the Environment Agency to complete the application. So typically they will complete the application in, in around about six to nine months in a, in a good case. But I know at the moment, the Environment Agency are so overwhelmed with applications of all different types, it can be two or three years before they even start to deal with your application. So that's where there's a huge benefit to the smaller scale systems and the speed of implementation. I'm in favour of the proximity principle and that waste should be dealt with as close to the source as possible. However, I remember Biffa trying to build a smaller EFW plant in Swansea and being turned down, and now their waste goes to England for recovery. How do we change people's minds about energy recovery, both large and small? When I'm asked this question, and it is one that comes up quite a lot, particularly if I'm talking about what I do as a job to people outside of the industry, we've only got a few different alternatives of what we can do with the waste that we produce. It's our waste. We're the, the generators of this material. It can either go to landfill, which nobody wants because we're just burying the problem for another generation or another day, or we can deal with it. And I wouldn't have a problem with dealing with my own waste locally to me. We're minimising the amount of trucks on the road. We're minimising the number of miles that this material has to travel. I can really see an issue with transporting it across borders, whether it's England to Wales or even the UK to Europe. It just doesn't make any sense to me. There's real value in this material to generate energy and giving it away or even having to pay for somebody else to benefit from it seems crazy. I do think we have to realise this material doesn't just vanish. Once you put it in the bin, it still has a journey before its end destination. That end destination can only be landfill or incineration or energy from waste, which is what we prefer it to go to. There's an obvious policy change currently, and we're looking at moratoriums in Wales and Scotland. Yeah. But with Wales in particular, they have specifically said they'll allow small facilities. Have you had any interest there? Yeah, we have several inquiries at the moment in Wales, one that's got planning permission and is permitted, but the developer hasn't actually started work on the site other than putting foundations in. I see more and more inquiries 
every week, particularly when a bit of publicity comes out like we, we've had recently, that generates a lot of interest. And it is literally countrywide, which is really exciting. The issues are, are the same all over the country. It doesn't really matter where the waste is being generated. It, it still has to be disposed of. And, and it's just as much a part of a problem for Wales as it is for England and Scotland. We have the small waste incineration plant permitting scheme. We don't have that in Scotland. We expect to see more inquiries from England and Wales than perhaps we would from Northern Ireland or Scotland at the moment. That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned Scotland there. They've got a landfill ban coming, which has largely been seen as good for energy from waste, but it's been pushed back once and it could be pushed back again. Do you think that would be the case? I'm not entirely sure what SEPA are planning at the moment. We have a couple of projects up in Scotland. We're finding extremely difficult to work our way through the regulatory position with SEPA. One of these is for dealing with salmon mortalities. I think we're in year three of this permit application and we don't seem to be much further forwards. Whether it will be the same with energy from waste, I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to see where we get to there. But the waste has got to go somewhere. If it's being banned from landfill... Why should Scotland export it down to England and Wales or or ship it abroad? It needs to be dealt with locally. And then the locals can benefit from the energy that can be produced from this waste. You mentioned a moment ago that you've recently had some good publicity. Is that around your largest projects? It is, yeah. It's an inquiry that uh, I think it's probably in its sixth year before we got the order. None of that was due to delays with COVID. Many other things have been, but not this particular one. So we're really pleased about it because it's the largest scale that we can do with a small waste incineration plant. It's substantially bigger than our first system that we did at Gatwick Airport, where we were processing four or five tonnes of waste per day. This one will be doing up to 72 tonnes of waste per day, but it's exactly the same technology, exactly the same solution. And it should be the blueprint for many, many other of the inquiries that we're dealing with because it's the largest scale we can do under the SWIP permit. I think the other exciting thing about it is there is great potential for other similar systems in and around the same area. And once we have one operational, it's so much easier to help customers see how the system works, how it looks, the inputs and outputs of a full-size system. And that's been a challenge for us until now. It's replacing a biomass-fired plant. I believe, was it a waste wood one? Do you know why they made the switch? Yeah, it was a waste wood one. I think they'd had technical issues with the system that were expensive for them to manage. And the the value of waste wood has continued to go up. The economics of the waste wood process weren't particularly strong. The economics uh, of using a refuse-derived fuel were stronger. But interestingly, that was based on what we would describe as a gate fee model, where the biggest revenue stream for the, the system is coming from the gate fee. Since the energy prices have jumped through the roof over the last six to 12 months, it's no longer a gate fee model. It's all about the energy generation. And this is driving customers to seek efficiency, which is great. In the past, they said, I don't really want it to be that efficient. I want to be able to get rid of more waste through the system. But actually now, because the value to the energy we're generating has increased so much, the emphasis has changed completely. People are saying, how can we improve the efficiency? Which is brilliant. That's exactly where the regulators want us to go and where the market yeah. needs to go. I think the energy side of it is really interesting. You've got Virador and Indiva all coming out recently with financial results saying that electricity prices have pushed profits up. Could local communities be sitting on potential gold mines if they wanted to invest in a series of smaller energy from waste plants? We've definitely got a lot of interest from 
I would say they're the, the regional waste management companies. One relatively local to us works for both Cheshire East Council and Derbyshire Council. Wastes have been exported in the past, and now they want to put solutions in close to where the waste is being collected. We're trying to find any sites where we can use both the heat and the electricity as a preference. But where that's not possible, and it isn't in, in many cases, then trying to make sure that that energy goes into either a local hospital at a reduced or a fixed rate, finding some way that the community can benefit from it is a priority. We're lucky with the, the project in Exeter. Exeter or South Devon Council have a very large district heat main. So they're using all of the heat that can be produced from the system, plus all of the electricity. So it's definitely benefiting the local community. I think that's the future, especially when the press coverage about blackouts and people not being allowed to turn yeah. their heating on or power on at certain mm-hmm. times. And I think all plants that produce heat, they sh- we should be exporting it, shouldn't we? Definitely, wherever it's possible. But I think because the UK's infrastructure is very well established and probably relatively difficult to implement something like a district heating scheme, unless it's on a new building site or a new facility, it's challenging to try and make connections or or redevelop an existing heating mechanism. But it is something that we're, we're talking also to building developers. One company in particular, they redevelop existing blocks of flats and apartments, and most of those have a centralized heating system. Over the years, they've put in individual boilers into the apartments and the flats. But more recently, they're looking at moving away from that back to a centralized system. So these sorts of redevelopments, if they can be done on a reasonably large scale within a reasonable proximity, three or four miles of a small energy from waste facility, absolutely it's worth making that investment in the connection between waste processing facility and the heat consumers bring them low-cost energy and it's coming from their own waste. That makes a lot of sense to me and especially when you're talking about redevelopment of flats because notoriously areas like London that have high density housing struggle with waste collection and recycling rates so if you can combine the two that's a perfect solution. It's as close to perfect as you can get wherever it's possible. Overall though waste management is still working on its perfect solution especially with recycling rates I hear at many planning meetings, increased recycling will make energy recovery redundant. But the most recent figures issued earlier this year showed the rate slipped from 45.5% to 44%. What do you think of recycling going forward? I think the priority still has to be trying to recycle as much material as possible. But there is always going to be a residue that we're never going to be able to recycle. Whether that's material that's too contaminated to recover, or if it's material that simply hasn't got a recycling purpose yet. But I'm sure as we continue to generate more and more waste, we will slowly improve the recycling rates. But as the population grows, the amount of material that's left over after recycling is probably going to stay fairly similar, if not going up. Maybe new technologies might come into recycling, but one new technology that's certainly coming in is carbon capture. Large-scale EFWs are looking at it now, but perhaps the cost is too prohibitive for smaller-scale EFW facilities currently. Is that changing? And if so, when? It is definitely changing and it's happening right now. There are a number of manufacturers who are starting with fairly small scale solutions because that's what their pilot plant and technology demonstrators were scaled at. We have one partner that's already working on it, Mitsubishi Corporation, and we see that as being perfectly sized for our systems. Yes, the cost is definitely going to be a consideration, but because the value of the energy is so much higher now than it was maybe just 12 or 18 months ago, hopefully we can start to absorb these costs and still make it a part of the, the overall package that we can deliver within the next few years. 
talk about the projects you're delivering. Earlier, you mentioned your first system at Gatwick Airport, and obviously air travel's restarting now after COVID. Could this be a growth area for you again? We're hoping so. We started to re-engage with Gatwick Airport because their site was closed for a couple of years during the COVID period. The site's reopened now and they're revising their recycling act facility and they're also planning on moving it to a larger facility so that they can bring in more waste from more airlines. One thing that changed as we left Europe, all of the waste that comes from any European flights now is classed as international catering waste. So the amount of material, whether it's the residual food from the trays or the waste that's collected on the aircraft, is now classed as international catering waste. And the disposal options for that are really limited. Recycling currently isn't an option, but it is something that airports like Gatwick are are investigating. They're running some trials with a couple of airlines at the moment to see whether they can separate the easily recyclable materials, such as the cans and glass, and maybe even clean magazines and newspapers. But there's still a huge amount of residue, and that amount in the UK certainly has substantially grown with the changes that have come around post-Brexit. So it is an area that we're focused on. In fact, only this week, we've also had inquiries from ports because they have a similar type of situation with the waste that comes off the international ferries and cruise liners. They have the same issue. They have to dispose of that as international catering waste. It's such a shame. The waste that could have been recycled before Brexit now can't. But it's crazy. I suppose if we are if we are looking at Brexit bonuses, that is, <laughs> I mean, at least there's someone who benefits from things, isn't there? And I Maybe. Think at least... <laughs> we hope. We'll, we'll <laughs> <Hopefully>. see. <laughs> you mentioned ports there. Uh, there's been, and obviously with the Brexit and the industrial action side of stuff, there's been a lot of strike action. Do you see this continuing? I think we're all feeling the pinch at the moment, whether it's because of rising costs of energy, which is affecting everybody, or the significant increase in inflation. And I think until we have either inflation or energy costs stabilised, everybody is going to be put under a lot of financial pressure. One way that a lot of people can make their voices heard is through strike action. Unfortunately, it hinders the strikers as much as the people that it affects. So I'm hoping it's not something that's there for the long term. But I think until we see some more financial stability in the UK, it's going to be an ever-present activity. Hopefully not within the waste industry, because it's a reasonably privatised industry, but we'll have to see. What a lot of people have said, it's the recruitment side of it. The combination of Brexit and COVID has hit the recruitment side and people obviously either going home or not coming to the UK. Have you seen that on the smaller energy from waste plant side? Not specifically our customers, but in general, yes. We're trying to recruit people within our business at the moment. And whether it's for somebody to operate a plant or a project engineer, sort of both ends of our technical scales, it's very, very difficult to find people. Customers have mentioned that a lot of the Europeans that used to work on their facilities have have gone home and haven't returned after COVID. It's definitely a mixture of COVID and Brexit. Yeah, we're seeing shortages throughout the industry. That may be the case going forward until people decide to come back to the UK, irrespective of the Brexit situation. The waste sector has always had a bit of a recruitment problem. And maybe it's because the waste sector still doesn't have a, a very glamorous image because it's dealing with waste. It's maybe not what people all think of going into when they start off in their careers. Do you think the waste sector still has an image problem? 
I think to a reasonable degree, yes, it still does. I mean, it isn't a nice place to work in a lot of cases, but we've been to some sites where the people working there have an incredibly positive attitude. You know, they realise that they're doing a job that has to be done. If they don't do it, it doesn't get done. It's not as if there's a, an alternative that you can leave to, to a third party and that will be solved regardless. If these people aren't uh, on the shop floors doing the work that they're doing, we will have mountains of rubbish piling up in the streets as you've seen in other countries you know even around europe in fairly recent past how we, we help them clean up their image i'm not entirely sure one thing that is an issue are people that are trying to circumvent the regulations doing things that they shouldn't be whether it's sort of fly tipping at one end of the scale or disposing of burying or burning things that they shouldn't be at the other end of the scale we need to try and regulate it as much as possible. But at the moment, the biggest challenge I think we have is the lack of money within the Environment Agency and their ability to enforce the regulations that are already in place, let alone enforcing any new regulations. That, to me, is a bit of a, a double-edged sword. They need to have more money, more people for better control of the regulations, and the waste industry itself needs to try and clean up its act at the same time. Hopefully, people will see it as a safer industry now with a threat of COVID and Brexit going forward. I think so. And also as automation for waste handling uh, increases, it becomes a less manual task. And therefore, you know, it's not as dirty an industry to be in. There's always going to be an element of manual activity, but that is generally getting minimised as time moves forward. What do you think people most misunderstand about energy recovery? I think the image that people have in the past is large piles of waste being burnt and all of that heat escaping into the atmosphere. Then along came incineration, which was trying to clean up the emissions from the, the process as much as possible. But in reality, all of the energy from waste or even incineration, we have the same environmental targets to meet, which are incredibly tight. The European regulations are the tightest of anywhere in the world. And whether it's a small scale, say 20,000 tonnes a year, or a large scale at 200,000 tonnes a year, we have the same environmental standards to reach. What we try and do is recover as much energy as possible, and that's the most important thing. There are targets set for the larger scale energy recovery facilities of a minimum of 25% energy recovery, which doesn't sound a lot, but if you think the most advanced power stations in the world are only 35% efficient, and they are on a vastly bigger scale than the sizes of systems that we're looking at, 25% is actually a pretty good number. And where we can encourage people to use the waste heat from the process, as well as the electricity that they generate in combined heat and power applications, like the system that we've sold to the customer in Exeter, there they'll be using about 98% of the energy that's produced. There's only a 2% loss. So it's an incredibly useful way of putting that material to good use rather than just sticking it in landfill and leaving it for the next generation to deal with. Exactly. And I think heat use is the thing going forward. As everyone's worried about shivering this winter with the economic crisis, it's a win-win situation, isn't it? Absolutely. Simon, this is the final question I'm asking to everyone on the burning issue. What's the one question you'd wish I'd asked and how would you have answered it? Just touched on it a second ago. If we don't have energy recovery, our only alternative for this residual waste that can't be recycled is landfill. And if you don't want landfill because we need to phase it out because it's not solving any problems and you don't want energy recovery, what would you do with this waste? It's a material that everybody that produces. You could recycle as much material out of your household waste as possible, but you'd still be left with the residue. And it's only disposal points are 
landfill or energy from waste? And which would you prefer of those two? That's where I started this journey. It's talking about landfill diversion and energy from waste is the best option. Obviously, recycling is better, but we've got a long way to go yet. So I think I'd, I'd agree with you there. Thank you, Simon, for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure speaking to you too, Luke. Look forward to doing it again sometime. The Burning Issues guest today was Simon Webb. It was written and presented by Luke Walsh and is produced by Zarina Dean. Thank you very much for listening. And if you want to learn more about energy recovery, go to the site endswasteandbioenergy.com where you can sign up for our free newsletters and maybe even take out a subscription if you want. 